you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. This morning's reading is uh, Luke 5, verses 12 to 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show himself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed uh, of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sarah. Well, good morning, church. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Zach, and have the privilege of serving here as one of the pastors at City on a Hill, Brisbane. I hope you're doing well this morning, uh, enjoying the constant, lovely Queensland weather, uh, which just has decided not to give us a winter this year, um, so there's not much to complain about there. Uh, let me pray, and then we're going to jump in this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you are our good Father in heaven. Thank you that you love us, uh, that we have seen and experienced and known your love most wonderfully and powerfully through uh, the gracious gift of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. Thank you that we are here this morning because you have sovereignly gathered us together. That is according to your will, your plan for us to be sitting in these seats uh, and that we will be hearing your word uh, spoken to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that you would be speaking powerfully to us. Lord, we know that unless you work, unless you move, unless you give the transformation and the new life, uh, nothing that we do in and of our own strength has any merit or use. Lord, I even acknowledge this morning that my words are nothing but words unless you powerfully work within us. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that you would do that work and that each of us would leave here this morning new because of who you are and all that you've accomplished in our lives. We praise you for your continual uh, wonder and mystery of grace towards us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. And well, in uh, the year of our Lord, 529, the Italian monk Benedict of Nursia, which is just a fun thing to say, by the way, uh, began his monastery uh, and within it he crafted a vision of life and ministry now known as the Benedictine rule. It was a rule of life, a, a vision of Christian community and culture and uh, one that had a lot of positive aspects to it. His rule of life was extensive, over 73 chapters long uh, and it crafted a vision for every moment of a monk's 
life. It became the way of things for monks for centuries following and is still today considered a genuine means of Christian life. However, while there are many positives, such as avoidance of worldly temptations and pleasures uh, and a culture of sharing... uh, that we see in Acts 2, uh, the Acts 2 community, what they sort of uh, embodied. Due to the isolationist ideals or the concept of removing oneself from the world, it became something other than a gospel-driven vision for the church. It became a community that looked to keep a basket on top of its lamp. If, however, in contrast... We as a church are called to be a church that would continue growing as a city on a hill, shining the light of Christ as we abide and remain in Christ through grace-driven intentionality, fixing our eyes on who Jesus is, what he says and what he's making us to be, then we must realise that Christian mission is oriented toward winning a spiritual battle, not surviving a spiritual siege which requires us to have rhythms, spirit-led rhythms of engagement and withdrawal, of going to the front lines of battle and of retreating to regroup. Now, last week we dove into uh, the comforting truth of the assurance that we have because of the work of Christ that he has fully accomplished on our behalf in his life, his death, his resurrection and the gift of his Holy Spirit given to his people after he ascended to the Father. And it's this Holy Spirit who assures us of our salvation and grants us the gift of growing in sanctification, our which is our being made like Christ because we are in Christ. And it's that same assurance which guides us this morning. We can consider these spirit-led rhythms because, as Jesus says in John 15, you are already clean by the word I have spoken to you. And so this morning we can look to Jesus, our Saviour, and the one that uh, we are growing into the likeness of of. And so this morning, we're going to look to the life of Jesus in our text that Sarah just read for us, and we're going to see his intentionality at engaging with the broken world, and we're going to see his intentionality at withdrawing and being alone with his heavenly Father. Uh, The context of our passage this morning uh, is interesting and helpful for us today. Uh, Jesus has just called his first disciples after showing some fancy fishing techniques Uh, And Jesus says to these fishermen, a few verses before our passage, he says, from now on, you will be catching men. Instantly, the purpose behind Jesus' gathering of these disciples is for the mission of the gospel, of bringing the good news to all the world. And this is still the same purpose for you and me today as this expression of his body, our purpose as those who have been gathered together by the gospel is for the mission of the gospel. It's to go into all the world, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's knowing Jesus deeply and making Jesus known passionately. And so this morning, let's work through our text and see how we are called 
and equipped by Christ to be a community that flourishes in these rhythms of engagement and withdrawal. Uh, the first point we'll walk through this morning is engagement. Um, as Sarah read through our text this morning, I hope something that stood out to you was these words. While he was in one of the cities. It might be an odd thing to uh, land on and try and bring out, uh, and it might seem insignificant, but it instantly reveals the kind of ministry that Jesus had. It was one that was in the public sphere. Just prior to this, Luke reports that Jesus was down with the fishermen, uh, where he found those that he'd called to be his disciples. In the first verses uh, following our passage, Jesus is in someone's house in verse 17. He then is in Levi's house having lunch with tax collectors in verse 29. Then in chapter 6, Jesus is in a field and then in a synagogue. This bloke's everywhere. Uh, Jesus is intentionally among the people. And due to Jesus' public ministry, because he's intentionally among the people, uh, this scenario with the leper is able to unfold. Straight away, before we even have to do much work, we see why the, the Benedict option, this monastic life of isolation from the world, doesn't present the same vision of engagement that we see in Christ. Jesus is with the people. He's available to the people and of greater theological significance, he's ministering to the least of these, the oppressed in society. Dr. Luke, the author of this particular account of Jesus' life and ministry, is incredibly intentional with how he set up uh, these chapters. If you read through, uh, sort of start to finish, or at least start to where we're up to, uh, you will uh, notice his intentionality. You'll see this intentional order. Firstly, it starts with a prophecy regarding the promised Messiah. Then we see Jesus' birth. Uh, then it's uh, his authority from the Father in his baptism where the Holy Spirit is uh, given upon him and then his temptation is taken into the desert. Uh, then we see him teaching authoritatively in the synagogues, in the Jewish churches and temples. Uh, then he's casting out demons, showing his authority over the evil one. Uh, and then he's calling his disciples to them, which is immediately followed by the cleansing of the leper, where we are this morning, uh, the healing of a paralytic and then welcoming in a tax collector all intentionally ordered to reveal that Jesus is who he says he is. And that he has come to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 61, uh, which Jesus declares is regarding himself. Uh, and he reads this out a few verses earlier in Luke 4, 18 to 19. He reads out from Isaiah 61 that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And so this encounter with the leper is a first among many expressions of his proclaiming good news to the poor. It's good news for you and me still today. Jesus is still in the business of making people clean. And we're invited into this missional journey of bringing people to come and see all that the Lord has done. 
It's worth noticing that the leper asks Jesus to make him clean, not to heal him of his disease, although the two end up going hand in hand. Uh, Leprosy, like other diseases, was not just a physical health issue uh, in those days, but it was also a major social, mental and spiritual health issue. Three things to note about lepers in Jesus' day. One, they were oppressed and forced to live outside regular society. Uh, Two, they were, uh, if you come into contact with one of them, or even if they were to, uh, this is what the Pharisees did, they they put extra laws on lepers in those days. Even if a leper put their head in your window to have a look in your house, now your whole house was called unclean and you had to go through all the rigorous processes. Uh, And right throughout the gospel accounts, leprosy is used analogously to represent sin and its corrupting effects and influence in our lives. Now, three things to note about Jesus' engagement with this man. One, Jesus was accessible. He was in the city. He was walking around uh, this leper who had to walk through the streets with his upper lip covered with, uh, his, uh, with his shirt, uh, yelling unclean, unclean, making sure that people parted ways, that he wasn't uh, the wrong direction downwind or too close the direction upwind, uh, trying to keep all of these things in mind. He's walking through the streets and he sees Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is there. He's in the street. Jesus is accessible. Secondly, Jesus is the one who reached out and touched this man, which according to the law should have instantly made Jesus unclean and now Jesus has to go and live outside the camp and go through all the ritual processes of being made purified again to come back in. But three, Jesus cleanses him. Jesus heals him and sends him on his way. The beauty of Jesus' righteousness, his cleansing power over our sin is made so evident in this beautiful story. A man with no other options, his life slowly eroding away, meets with Jesus in the streets and begs him for a miracle. And for the first time in a very long time, this man feels the touch of another person, a touch that doesn't just overcome his social oppression, doesn't just heal the disease that is killing him, but also is the very embodiment of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us who call Jesus Saviour. All of us in our sinfulness and brokenness are like this leper. We have no options for cleansing or healing or righting ourselves and yet Jesus comes to us and he reaches out to us and Christ touches you and me. And by his power and authority we are made clean. Jesus is never made unclean, we are completely made clean. We are given a new life and a new heart that desires God. Our sins are forgiven and the right penalty for our sin is completely paid for by Jesus on the cross on our behalf. We are then brought into the very people of God. Jesus' ministry, his life, it's one of engagement. 
of being with the people, of intentionally reaching out to them. And this is the same missional community that you and I have been invited into. Now, what does it mean for us today? Hopefully, uh, none of us are sitting here right now thinking we're Jesus. None of us have the power to grant healing or cleansing or forgiveness to ourselves or to anybody else around us, but each of us is a part of this missional community. Those who have been made clean and welcomed into God's family and given everything that we need to be that community that shines Jesus, that shines as a city on a hill, the healing and cleansing love and authority of Jesus. So how do we go about this? What does it look like for us to be engaged? I think firstly, it's to accept the reality that our Christian faith is deeply personal, but it can never be private. Each of us who have placed our trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross have a beautiful story of all that he rescued us from. And that story is deeply personal. It's deeply transformative and identity-shaping. But this faith that we have uh, that has been gifted to us through the Holy Spirit can never be private. A private Christianity is an oxymoron. They're two things that can't coexist. They don't, they're not the same reality. Our faith is not to be hidden in some monastic community. It's to be shone out into the world that the light of Christ might be seen and that others might come to know Christ's salvation. It can't be private because we need to encourage one another in our faith. The author of Hebrews tells us in two places of this importance. Firstly, Hebrews 3, 12 to 13, he says, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you, uh, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And secondly, Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's a faith that drives us towards one another. A beautiful aspect of the Benedictine rule of life was its intentionality towards one another. Uh, it's love for the people of God and a commitment to discipleship, to pointing each other to Jesus and to taking care of one another's needs, to loving one another in spiritual and practical ways like Nathan and Alina Smith bringing our family a meal during this week or Michael calling me on his way to work to check how I'm doing. It looks like the two families in our church who have been committed to getting together and reading the Bible uh, together during the week. It looks like Joe Hall praying for Sarah Jontek in the foyer before church last Sunday. It's Joey, Sam and Aaron committed to meeting together every week, reading God's Word, praying, uh, confessing their sins to one another and holding each other accountable to that. It's our prioritizing church and gospel community attendance when every Everything else around us wants to take our attention and our energy away. It's this ministry of showing up for one another. All of which 
shines the light of Christ to the world around us. And these good works which we encourage one another to do, to pursue by God's grace and for God's glory are those that see people encounter the love and freedom available to them in Jesus. Just like this leprous man in our passage this morning. Jesus is in the street. He's available, accessible. This leper is able to come to Jesus and he encounters the one person in all of history who's able to genuinely do something for this man, not just heal a disease that puts him outside of society, uh, not just make him better so that he might have a, a better quality of life for his time left on earth, but radically and dramatically takes care of his absolutely most basic underlying need, which is his salvation. Jesus has done that for this leprous man and he's done that for all those in this room right now that call Jesus Lord and Saviour. He was accessible to you and I. Whether you're the recipient of one of those loves that I've just walked through of how we love and encourage one another, whether you were brought here by a neighbour, whether you grew up with strong uh, parents in the faith and they, uh, their example led you to trust in Jesus, uh, whatever your story is of how you're sitting here this morning trusting in Jesus, that's the glory and wonder of having our Lord and Saviour be open and accessible to us that we might come and find healing and freedom. Probably one of the biggest errors of the uh, Benedictine monastic community is that simply by its pursuit of isolation from the world, it effectively placed the light of their faith in Christ under the cover of isolation. Jesus explaining uh, his parable a bit later on in Luke chapter 8, he says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. This light of loving each other to good works is not meant to be hidden or in isolation, but it is meant to be a shining beacon, a beacon which says to the world around it, this is the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's this missional love for each other, our discipleship of each other that causes us to grow in our missional love for those who don't yet trust Jesus, our evangelism. Our evangelism, it looks like our Redlands GC who are helping to feed the homeless in their area uh, on Monday nights through Night Ninjas. It's Jason and Corinne Rees inviting their non-Christian neighbours over for dinner during the week. It's Beck Tran leaving her job to train as a missionary in a university and praise God at the camp that Beck was leading uh, the last week. They saw a young girl come to place their trust in Jesus. Uh, No, Jesus, make Jesus known. You're allowed to be excited about that part. Um, cool. Uh, it's the multiple men and women who are visiting the elderly through our living room mercy opportunity. It's a faith committed to the beautiful work of engagement, trusting that the Spirit is working through it, drawing people to Christ who is healing them, setting them free, and gathering to himself an ever-growing community of faith. So maybe a question to ask 
this week, maybe in your gospel communities. Uh, if you don't go to a gospel community and you'd like to be a part of one, uh, come and see me, come and see Mike after the service or reach out to us uh, on e- email or at co.co forward slash briz uh, and uh, we'd love to help you get connected in there. But maybe in our gospel communities this week, it's asking ourselves the questions, are my rhythms of engagement shaped by the priorities of discipleship and evangelism or are they shaped by other things like busyness of work, and chasing the dollar for that promotion. Maybe the priority of me and mine and us versus them mentality. Or other pursuits which make my engagement about me and not about God's people. We'll actually have a chance in GCs this week to practically work through where our priorities of engagement lie through the study uh, and there's that rule of life booklet as well which asks very pointed questions about how we set up our weeks, what it is that we try to fit into our weeks and are we intentional about finding times to engage in the mission of the gospel uh, in our weeks or is it just full with all the busy stuff that we continuously keep plugging into our lives. And so we can see how this vision for the Christian life must be engagement, it must be Uh, one of loving one another by the love which Christ loves us and shining that light into a broken world. All of which is intensive and draining on our limited energy, which leads us to our second major rhythm this morning, uh, which we also see obviously in Christ's life, that rhythm of withdrawal. This other important rhythm to notice in our text today and it's in other parts of the gospel narratives as well is Jesus' practice of withdrawal. In verse 16 of our text, Luke reports that despite the growing crowds, uh, despite their pressing needs, despite uh, them coming to Jesus with all of their wants and desires, their prayers, their cries for help, not despite uh, how um, maybe even attractive the, uh, the thrall of a, a crowd coming to you, knowing that you're the only one that could possibly help them, what do we see in verse 16? Luke tells us that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of coastal gusting winds. My parents used to live across the road from Scarborough Bay up in uh, Redcliffe, and uh, what used to amaze me and frustrate me to tears uh, was that at their house, which was maybe 100 metres away from the beach, uh, it would be very pleasant and very mild breeze that would keep you cool. You could sit on the deck in the sun and have this lovely coastal breeze uh, caress your skin um, as you just enjoyed uh, the screams of children behind you. Um, But once you got down past the pine trees on the beach, all hell would unleash and you'd be in a near cyclone. And it didn't take long to get over it. It... It didn't take long to desire to escape uh, that sort of... Uh, there's just the chaos that's going on in your head as wind is just punching itself into your ears and dust into your eyes. And it's amazing that as soon as you get back on the street, away from the extremes of that wind, how the lack of wind in your ears and sand and dust in your eyes, how beautiful that sense of calm becomes. And this is probably a useful analogy of moving between... Rhythms of engagement and withdrawal. And we see this for Jesus 
also the busyness of ministry and the crowds, the the needs were all growing and yet Jesus intentionally withdraws himself. And this is a constant practice of Jesus. In fact, uh, our translation in verse 16 doesn't quite convey the ongoing nature of Jesus's retreats. The sentence construction in the Greek is made up of an imperfect verb. I know you're all very impressed right now, uh, which would be better translated uh, and, and he would often. And then two participles, Hypocoron, uh, withdrawing, and prosukmenos, praying. In other words, uh, he would often be withdrawing and praying in desolate places. It was a constant practice of Jesus. It wasn't just a one-off because he was a bit tired after this particular miracle with the leper, but it was a regular practice which should be startling because this is Jesus we're talking about. He's not just a regular man, he's the Son of God the second person of the Trinity, if anyone could play the I don't need to rest or pray card, it was Jesus. And yet here and in plenty of other places throughout the Gospels, we witness Jesus intentionally withdrawing for the purpose of praying and renewal. In fact, in the next chapter in Luke 6, 12, Luke reports that in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night, He continued in prayer to God. The late pastor, Leon Morris, says that in the midst of pressing duties, he found it necessary to be quiet and pray. I think all of us are well aware of how our lives are busy, constant, pressured. The amount of decisions that we're trying to make hour by hour, um, an average of 2,000, FYI, uh, and the dinging and pinging of notifications and the tasks tugging on our energy day after day. Withdrawal in the midst of all that we do is a gift from our Father in heaven. It's that coming inside from the relentless winds of our busy life and being comforted by the still, small voice of intentional time with God. Here's some um, particularly practical thoughts on the rhythm of withdrawal. These are not teachings from Scripture, but hopefully they are helpful practices that will help us remain connected to Christ and energised for being on His mission of the Gospel. I think we need to recognise that withdrawal has multiple facets. Three practices of withdrawal that I'd like to commend to us this morning. Firstly, silence and solitude, comfort in company and recharge for re-engagement. Silence and solitude. At the expense of becoming enemy number one with the young mums in the room, or maybe just my wife, there is something significant about intentionally taking personal time with God in prayer and reading his word. And for many people, this is simply an adjustment of our priorities and routines. Many of us do have the capacity to make this happen, but I appreciate that this presents a greater challenge for some people. Rod, uh, a few weeks ago, helpfully uh, gave us some encouragement, uh, pointing us to his rhythms of time alone with God in prayer and in the Word. And I can imagine that as good as that was, that there would have been some eyes rolling. And so, yes, I appreciate that there are times and seasons in our life when this is hard, maybe even near on 
impossible for us to figure out and make happen. And my only encouragement, if that's you this morning, here's my only encouragement to you, that you would keep desiring it. That you would be fighting the temptation to fill that space whenever it opens up with other things. And we know that sleep, exercise, socialising are also very good and important for our flourishing. But church, nothing will renew, repair or encourage us for continuing to minister to our friends and family like finding quiet time in God's word and prayer. Now, our modern world also makes this a greater challenge for each of us. Uh, Donald S. Whitney says that one of the costs of technological advancement is greater temptation to avoid quietness. I know for me, when I get those moments alone in the car, I'm tempted to put something on straight away. It's probably Michael Jackson. But even a Christian podcast, a sermon, a worship song, uh, these things are great, but there is something else about intentional silence, about just giving our minds space to ponder God's goodness, to praise Him, to confess sin to Him, uh, to ask for His help as we're heading on our way to whatever our next task might be. Second encouragement is comfort in company. This call to withdraw and recharge is not exclusively in isolation. Even looking to the example of Jesus, he would often retreat with his 12 disciples or even just his favourite three. And this is something that's comforting and encouraging about being being with the right people for the right time coming away from the crowds, from the chaos of even our urban life and having the very small group of trusted friends or family come around you and enjoy a meal with you and encourage you. Now, I know not all of us are in seasons where uh, being able to make gospel communities is uh, an option for us right now. Maybe we've got uh, young kids or it might be work situations that make that really difficult. Can I encourage you, uh, don't completely just withdraw from that whole practice of being around your Christian community. If you can't commit to a formal thing like a gospel community, uh, maybe it looks like for you booking sometime during a week fairly regularly in your month or in your schedule, booking in a dinner or a lunch with those people that you can sit down with and not feel like you've got to do much around. Just people you're comfortable with, people that know you, who know Jesus and who love you more, sorry, love Jesus more than they love you so that they can keep calling you to this life of knowing who Jesus is and making him known. It's this opportunity we've got to be surrounded by friends and family who love us in Jesus and keep pointing us to the work that the Spirit is continuing to do in our lives, that we would go from those meetups, from those little conversations and be recharged for our work in the world. And I've shared this story before, but Nathan Smith and I will make Wednesday morning coffee happen as often as we possibly can. And the amount of times that I've wished he would cancel so I don't have to be the bad guy because uh, I just really want to stay in bed longer or I really want to you know, sit there and read the news or flick through whatever apps are on my phone or I uh, want to do my own rhythm and routine. I want to just uh, keep to my isolated self. I'm maybe in a bad mood. I'm a little bit sick of Christians or non-Christians, uh, which might have been this week. And I'm just in a mood of I'd prefer to not be 
be missionally engaged in the world right now. I go to coffee with Nathan and he doesn't even have to say the right things or do the right things, but just because I was in the presence of another trusted brother in the faith, I come away from that coffee refueled and recharged. I've withdrawn for the moment, had that coffee and I'm refired to go back and engage in the world for the mission of the gospel. I appreciate our seasons are not all the same. We can't all do the same things. But each of us can find those one, two or three people that we can get around often and encourage them and be encouraged by them that we can continue to go into the world and shine brightly the love and goodness of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. And lastly, the last... uh, commendation of how to withdraw would be to recharge to re-engage. I think the temptation we have when it comes to the practice of withdrawal is to become too comfortable and never re-engage. If you're anything like me, introverted and happy with my own company and maybe a little bit allergic to responsibility, the joy of withdrawal can quickly become an addiction to withdrawal. But the practice of withdrawal must be for the practice of re-engagement. In his book, Habits of Grace, uh, the author David Mathis, he says, for those of us in Christ, we want to come back better, not only rested, but more ready to love and sacrifice. We want to find new clarity, resolve and initiative to return primed, to redouble our efforts by faith in our callings, in the home, among friends, at work, and in the body of Christ. Church, our withdrawal is not just about us getting time in silence, but as we see in Christ for the purpose of coming to our Heavenly Father, hearing His promises, knowing His Word deeply and His nearness to us, and being encouraged by our friends and family in Christ that we can go and re-engage in the good works that He has made for us. Again, uh, this week in our GCs, we'll get a chance to think through our seasons, to think through where we're at in life. Are we in a time where we need to engage more intentionally? Or are we at a stage of life where we need to actually step back, withdraw and pursue renewal in Christ? That we might be strengthened to re-engage in God's timing. Lastly, as the band comes this morning, I want to consider what I think is our biggest hurdle to accepting these seasons or these rhythms in our life. I think ultimately it can be categorised as control. Ultimately, our lack of intentionality with withdrawal or engagement reveals our lack of trust, that we don't really trust that God is sovereign that he's the one providentially orchestrating all things for his glory and for our good. So to finish this morning, I want to encourage us in this glorious doctrine, this truth of who God is. Uh, To do that, I want to rely on the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, which is a format used in the early church to teach the truths of God's word, to help us to understand and be encouraged by God's sovereignty. Uh, The Catechism asks the question, and this is an extended quote that I don't apologise for, what do you understand by the providence of God? The answer, God's providence 
is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And also ask the question, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? The answer, we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity. And with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love for all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot do so much as move. Church, we can be encouraged to know that it is our God who is working. No matter what season of life we're in, no matter how engaged we can be or how withdrawn uh, we need to be right now, our God will accomplish His will according to His Word by the power of His Holy Spirit for the glory of King Jesus and the good of those He loves. And this is the truth. It's in this truth, sorry, where we find our rest. Knowing that it's not in my effort that guarantees my progress. But it's God's sovereign will and He will do what He wills and it will be good for us. This is the version of a Christian community that Christ won on the cross for us, a culture of complete dependence on the work of God, which grants us the desire to engage in this beautiful gospel work and intentionally withdraw from the front lines to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Church, in fact, because our God is sovereign, in charge and in control, we can trust that our church will continue growing as a city on a hill, shining the light of Christ as we abide and remain in Christ through grace-driven intentionality, fixing our eyes on who Jesus is, what He says, and who He's making us to be. Church, let's pray together this morning. Our Father in heaven, As I pray to the start, I'm thankful that you're the one who brings us to yourself. Thank you that you have gifted us our salvation and now you have called us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is you, Heavenly Father, who is working in us, that we would will to do your work and that we would have the energy to do your work for your good pleasure. Father, would you help us to do all things without grumbling or disputing, that we may be blameless and innocent and your children without blemish in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation among whom you call us to shine as lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life. Father, I pray that for those who are feeling the pressure of engagement and withdrawal, would you 
speak to their hearts right now, Holy Spirit, reminding them that it is you alone who does the work. And that we are called in, invited into this missional uh, opportunity that you grant to your people. And we thank you that it is not up to us, but it is up to your sovereign plan. And would you empower us to keep going and taking the gospel into all the world? Would you empower us to let go of where we think that we're the ones who are doing the work or making the change, that we would take that back seat and rest in your finished work, that we would again be encouraged and equipped to go into all the world and make you known? We thank you so much for your goodness and grace towards us in Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.